Hey, hey, it's Rebecca, and you are listening to Resilient by Design. Today I'm interviewing Brian Kaplan. I am so excited for this one. He is a business consultant coach for the building industry. So he coaches builders and contractors on running their business. And I sort of, I discovered him a few months ago on Instagram because someone had mentioned he teaches great courses. And of course, of course, course, I was about to launch my own course. How many times can you say course in the sentence? I think I just maxed it out. Um, And anyways, and so I wanted to check out what he was doing. And oh my goodness, this guy knows his stuff. It is information that is completely applicable to an interior design decorating business. He also sends out these incredible emails. So I got an email from him a few weeks ago, and it was about change orders. And I immediately opened it because it's something that we've been really striving to implement, but haven't really successfully done so within our business. And I read the email blog, and I said, I immediately I emailed him back. I'm like, you have to come on my podcast and talk about this. Designers are desperate to know this, or they should know this, or they need to know this. So we talked today about change orders. Um, and we talk about the importance, what they are, why you need one in your business, why you need to be using these with your clients, whether it's decorating um, and you're changing out the sofa style or something comes up in a renovation. But we also, of course, of course, because it's my podcast and I tend to go I tend to diverge sometimes. Uh, We talk about sales, actually, and the importance of filling your pipeline and how to do that and valuing your worth and and just great sales tactics. I mean, wow, it was a good eye-opener for me. I need to really brush up on my ability to pause and listen to my clients and give them the space to respond before I fill that empty space with all kinds of talking points. Uh, we also talk about um, growing a team, you know, and and just a few key principles when you are looking to hire and have people work for you and the mistakes that can happen, but then ultimately how you can manage and maneuver through all of that. Anyways, all that to say, this is a good episode with Brian Kaplan. Guys, I think you're going to enjoy it. All right. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Hay, and I've built a successful interior design business by trial and error, podcasts, online courses, and so many freaking books. Over the last decade, I've grown from an insecure student to having false starts to careers, and now I'm finally in the place where I want to be. Throughout my journey, it's been pretty obvious that I'm passionate about business and helping other entrepreneurs do the same. Each week, I'll share tangible takeaways from my own experience and the experiences of other badass women to help you build your confidence and change your business. Before I jump into today's episode, I just want to give everyone a little early bird heads up that I am hosting a masterclass coming up really, really soon. And the idea behind what I'm teaching is that I want to show you how you can eliminate the chaos and get over your fear of actually implementing a process in your business. If you don't know where to start and you're feeling overwhelmed by all the things you know you need to process, but you just don't know where or how to do it, I'm going to bust through all those fears of getting started in this masterclass. 
And the way I'm going to do that is by showing you strategies that you can use in order to overcome the chaos and get it done. So we're going to talk about different strategies for creating and implementing your unique process from scratch. Guys, I'm going to share all my behind the scenes secrets from 11 years of trial and error growing my business because you know it, there's been ups and downs, but finally landing on a process that gives me the control that I desired when I started to run my own business and makes running a business that much easier and a bonus, more profitable, because that's kind of important. Uh, So in the masterclass, I'm going to give it all to you so that you can hit a home run right from the get-go. So if you don't want to miss this masterclass, there's going to be a link in the show notes. We have not announced it to the public yet. Well, I guess I just did. (laughs) I haven't even picked the date or the time for it. But if you click on that link, you can sign up. You'll be the first to know when we are hosting the masterclass. All right. I can't wait to share all my behind the scenes secrets with you. Okay. Today I'm here with Brian. Hello. How are you? Hey, Rebecca. Um, I'm doing well. I'm I'm super excited to have you here because um, what you're doing has been kind of inspirational to me because you are essentially teaching. Now I'm going to have you share in your own words, but you appear to be essentially teaching contractors, construction companies, uh, how to run their businesses, similar to what I've just sort of endeavored, which is, uh, with my momentum course, but teaching designers about running their business. So, Ugh, I'm so excited. Your knowledge is like, I get your emails and every time I, I, I'm not a contractor, but I open your email, I'm like, oh, this is such good nugget of wisdom. So why don't you just maybe tell everyone who you are and uh, what you're all about? For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to be here and it's nice for me to connect into sort of the design world as well. Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I kind of focus on the contracting world or the residential construction world. So I started in the business back in 1999 as a bricky laborer and realized really quickly I didn't want to run stacks of bricks on the scaffold. And so kind of uh, discovered a bit of a passion for woodworking. Um, as a child, like I built everything in Lego, always had blocks in my hands. So it was kind of a natural sort of born to build moment and kind of progressed through the years. I had my own business for about seven or eight years early on and then started working for a lot of you know prominent residential renovation firms here in Toronto, doing large scale addition renovation projects. Worked as everything from a, a lead, or sorry, a carpenter, a lead carpenter, site super, project manager, general manager. And basically along the way, I've always kind of looked at things as a process. I've always tried to systemize and leverage time because, you know, we can always get more money, but we can never make more time. And so Mm -hmm. how do we actually get efficient at that? You know, we we were talking, you know, off this uh, just a little bit about process and system. and, And that's really what it comes down to is how do you get more out of the time that you have? And so kind of all the lessons that I've learned and mentoring all these people along the way, I just just kind of thought about, hey, you know, two years ago was this kind of aha or pivot moment in my career where I thought I could go and help other construction companies because I know how difficult the business is, whether you're an interior designer or you're, you know, a general contractor listening to this, like the, the truth is, you know, your jobs are hard. Like you've got demanding clients, you've got lots of volume of stuff to manage. So um, it was really about bringing sort of what I know to the forefront and helping other businesses really succeed. 
Yeah. And I mean, there's so many moving parts, right? And as a designer, it gets super overwhelming and no one teaches us. And I'm pretty sure contractors are the same because I've worked with my share of contractors and they all work (laughs) differently. Um, But no one teaches us, you know, how to structure your business and how to successfully complete a project and keep your clients happy. All you're taught is the actual craft. So I don't know if it's the same when you're you know, a trade, but as a designer, you're just taught about colors and scale and AutoCAD and maybe code, but you're not actually taught about how to run a business, which to me is so shocking because the majority of, I think, designers end up going into business for themselves. So, and I know I see that with contractors all the time and I think, oh goodness, why don't they have a better system? But I mean, I can't tell them how to run their business. (laughs) I'll just refer them to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and you hit the nail right on the head there. I think a lot of us, I always use the analogy because this is my story is, you know, we kind of fall into the business as builders, right? So if you're naturally good at something like when I was 11 years old, I was painting garage doors in my neighborhood. And so, you know, I've always kind of just like had a, inclination towards that industry. And and I think a lot of guys, you know, they grow up, maybe their parents or their dad has a construction business and they grow up through the trades. And it's a very common story you hear. And, and as I said, we kind of fall into the business and when you fall into the business, there's not really, you know, a business sort of uh, course or some certification that you're supposed to take. And chances are too, if your dad or uncle or whomever is kind of bringing you up through the trades, there's a good chance they never went through any, any sort of business training either. And so, you know, the Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So it's, uh, it's no question. And then on the designer architect side, I know that it's, you know, you're taught about specific things in the, in the discipline, but not, you know, how do I actually be an entrepreneur? Like, how does, what does that look like? Totally. And I find, you know, especially um, in my course with my students, what I found is it was interesting. I was actually just telling Brian, I was telling you before we started about how, you know, I just did my first course and it was amazing and the students were incredible, but that I I, I realized I was giving them a lot of information because I just want everyone to have like all the tools. I'm like, do it all. And everybody's like, ah, this is a lot of information. <laughs> but that um, what came out of that was the most questions I kept getting asked were about process. The questions people were saying was like, can you go back? Oh, can you, you mentioned this thing that you do. Can you elaborate on that? Or what is this discovery call? Or, you know, what do you do at the end of a project to close it out? And and the questions really were about what I just call process, which is the systems that you have in place in your business internally, but also client facing. It's sort of twofold is how I see it. Um, And I know that you talk a lot about that with your contractors. And one thing we're going to get into today that I really want to hear you talk about, which was kind of the reason I reached out to you, is the idea behind change orders. And what does this look like? I know that even for us, it's so funny. It's literally, it's literally, we use um, Asana for project management within my team to task people. And there's like this one task that keeps floating around in Asana that is not achieved. And it's about setting up a change or change. What is it called? A change order or a work order change form. Or I don't even know what it's called. I'm like, <laughs> I tasked my team with doing this thing. And it's been like a year because we get into the project and we're like, um, yeah, okay, so it's a fixed fee and that works really well. But then what happens during the process when something changes? And usually, usually, and I will be honest with you, I'm still like most designers where I 
I'm like, okay, I'm a nice person. And it's just <laughs> one thing. We literally just went through this on a project in the East End and it just started to spiral. So at first it was, you know what? You know, don't get the chairs. We're not going to get the chairs. We're going to we're gonna find the chairs ourselves, but everything else is great. Great. And then I'm like, yeah, it's a one-time thing. I'm not going to, we're not going to make a deal about it. And then it was something else. And before we knew it, the whole thing had been turned up on its head. And here we are running around spending all this extra time that now I couldn't charge the client for. Or there was a surprise. Like if it's something when it comes to like the painter, we just got the invoice for the paint. And I looked at it and I, was, and I said to my team, I'm like, can you make sure that this matches the quote? And they looked like, oh, no, it's it's so much more money because the client requested a change. And so... I said, okay, but, you know, was this communicated to the client? Like how much and, and did like what was the margin on this? Like what – how was this communicated? Well, like we don't have – as you know, it's still an Asana task. We don't have a like change order form. It's a verbal communication on site, which, you know, often designers are doing that and you can get away with it and – and everything is fine. It's those few times, and I have had many experiences, and yet I still haven't implemented this into my system, <laughs> right? Where you're, where the client says, well, I didn't realize it was going to be that much money, or I didn't realize it was going to add to the timeline. Yeah. Um, because I think, I know as designers, we're scrambling. We just want to hustle. We just want to keep moving forward. And something like a piece of paper that they would have to sign uh, feels like it's going to slow things down and it feels time consuming and it feels lesser priority in the moment. Because in the moment, I need to go pick up the tile. Then I need to call that contractor. Then, oh, shoot, we've got a presentation tomorrow. That is way more important than sending a piece of paper. It'll be fine. Right. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, you're, you know, it's funny because as I listen to you talk and, you know, you're kind of painting the same picture that any builder that might be listening to this would like you could they could literally be a builder right now saying the exact same story. And you've got an estimate, you know, or a client meeting proposal, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so many things take priority. Um, I just want to go back to the first thing you said, because this is something I talk about and I talked about it in my course this week. I'm running the, that estimating masterclass right now again. And it's, I call it the good human principle. And it's this idea that, you know, you said, oh, well, we're not going to get the chairs. And so we said, okay, no problem. You know, we won't, we won't bother like working on charging anything or this, that, or whatever. And then it just keeps spiraling. Right. And as humans and as good people, I mean, 97, 98% of us will take that approach, right? There's only like 2% of the world that's incredibly cynical that, that, you know, takes the other approach. <laughs> yes. um, but you know, the majority of us take this good human approach. And so we're very sensitive to the costs that our clients are paying. And also, you know, there's, there's this hidden thing inside of us too, where if we don't have that process set up, it's very difficult for us or very easy for us to get overwhelmed very difficult for us to change that pattern. And so um, it's something that's really important. And, you know, you also hit the nail on the head about communication. That's what it's all about. Like, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had the exact same conversation with my team to say, hey, this doesn't match you know, let me, let's go back to the paperwork. What does the paperwork say? And then there's like, there's no paperwork. And you're like, ah. <laughs> so, um, yes. and then, yeah. And then, and then you get the client, the famous words that the client uses that you never want to hear is if I had known, insert blank. Right. And, oh. and those are the words that as a designer, as a GC, whoever, you just never want to hear those words. Right. Um, because ultimately it means that we failed at the communication side of things and we haven't done our role as construction managers, whether, you know, you're working in your capacity as a, as a designer and doing some CA or if it's the GC uh, managing that client experience, et cetera, et cetera. But collectively, it means that we failed. Right. We haven't communicated. Oh, my God. 
<clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I just wrote that down. <clears throat> so, like catching my breath. It's so weird. <laughs> um, no, I just wrote that down because it's so true. It's interesting. I always say to my team that <clears throat> if a client if a client reaches out to us to ask what the next steps are, we have failed. So that's my thing. I always say the client's calling us or emailing us saying, and now what? Then we have failed. My goal is that we don't ever have them coming to us. We're, we're, we're ahead of that. But then the second sentence, because literally I feel like this just happened to us. And it's that icky feeling like if I had known that it was going to take this long, I wouldn't have done a, B, and C. X. You're so yeah. right. And that is worse because that is like you're already far down the path. You can't. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't resolve nothing. it. Yeah. yeah. And oh. you just feel like crap <laughs> about so it is true. the reality. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we're basically all people pleasers, especially designers. Yeah. We just want to make it beautiful. We want you to be happy. And sometimes we don't understand that actually there's, there's certain set tasks and systems that will help make that client happy. And I always tell my designers, it's not about what the space looks like. I've had so many people hire us who've worked previously with designers who always said, no, the space looked great, but we didn't enjoy her process or, but we never knew when the billing was going to end. It's never about about the finished product. It's usually about the experience of working with them. Yeah. Client experience journey. I mean, that's something something that's really forefront in my mind right now and something uh, you may or may not see a, a blog series coming out very, very shortly mm, on okay. that. I'll definitely keep my eye for that one. Um, it's something that I think is often overlooked. It's not a sexy topic, really. It's not exciting, especially for builders. You know, it's it's not necessarily something that's at the forefront of their minds. But I think it's it's such an important lens to look through because ultimately, you know, I'm not saying you drop absolutely everything and you do absolutely anything for your client. And I know that as service-based professionals, we tend to do that. Um, but the idea is just, you know, in a very simplistic form, think about your experience shopping online or thinking about, you know, how what your experience is with any other brand that you sort of work with and just trying to understand like, what does it look like from a client? And I think oftentimes, especially as builders and, and, and designers, and, you know, we all have so many details running through our minds at any point. Uh, we never want the clients to see our busyness through the lack of communication kind of thing. And so when we are completely frazzled with all these different things, to your point, if they're calling us and asking us what the next step is, then it means that we're failing in that experience, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're failing on that journey. Totally. hundred percent. All right, so let's talk about this change order thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will tell you too, Brian, a lot, like <clears throat> almost maybe if not all of the contractors we have and do work with, they're not using this. They're yeah. not doing anything like this. So you sent an email, which is why I emailed you back right away. I'm like, you have to talk about this on my podcast. <laughs> Where you basically, and I, I'm going to let you talk about it, but <clears throat> you talked about, you say that you talk about why, like why change orders happen. So yeah. I think I, like some designers listening to this probably are like, what the heck is a change order? So we're going to maybe need to describe that uh, yeah. and then talk about, you know, why it's necessary. And that I love that you say done is better than perfect, but let's get, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm like looking at your email again. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, so good. Uh, maybe why don't you just tell everyone who's listening, what the heck is a change order? Yeah, for sure. And the first thing I'm going to say is this, is that there is a ton of stigma associated with these two words. I think a lot of people, you know, clients, uh, designers, architectural partners, 
um, you know, builders, you know, alike. I think everybody hears change orders and, and, you know, their neck muscles tighten up a little bit and everyone gets a little bit, there's this just negative connotation that's, that's there. And one of the views and sort of perspectives I try to bring to this is, you know, for anybody that has any sort of accounting background or anything, we all have a balance sheet in our corporation and our balance sheet is a snapshot in time. And what I always say is that, when you're going through your estimating process, whether you're a designer, an architect, a builder, you know, it doesn't really matter when you're going through that process, there's only so many details you have at that moment, right? So your estimate is a snapshot in time and it's natural through the design and sort of production journey that things are going to change. And it's about just getting in front of that conversation really early with your clients. Again, whether you're a designer, architect, builder, it doesn't really matter. It's really about getting in front of that early and saying, look, things are going to change. There's four kind of basic reasons why things might change along the path here. And I just want you to be prepared that this is the process. This is what it looks like for how we're going to, you know, sort of manage this as we go on. So in, in the simplest form, a change order is really just the change from that initial estimate, whenever that last estimate or that working budget was assumed to any current information that we have that's, and then there's kind of a Delta in between. And, you know, I think one of the things that you mentioned, which we'll, we'll get to is that time component, because it's such a crucial thing that every, even people probably listening to this that do use a change order system probably miss this one. And it's such an important piece. Mm-hmm. So essentially, I mean, what it looks like in construction, it can also is something, for example, uh, actually give us an example. You'll be better pulling these examples out of your head than I am. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the most classic one I would say is I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time working on those large scale addition renovation projects. And we, we'd always uh, use something called the discovery period, which is after demolition, we have, it's kind of the discovery period of like, what are we going to discover behind the walls? Um, We obviously, know the city well we know these types you know these double brick homes pretty well so we we do know what to expect for the most part however there's been tons of times we've been surprised by certain things and um so ultimately you know we're gonna that's probably the easiest one i could say is like that discovery period we're gonna look at our project estimate all of our assumptions that we've made and what's different now from what we thought Mm -hmm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. and at that point we 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 have to use where we're at and then take the new information and make kind of an analogy of, or analysis of like, are the costs relatively still the same? Because the scope of work might have changed. And then the client has to see it on paper and sign off. 100%. That's the yeah. part designers don't want to do. Yeah. You know, and builders, builders don't want to do it either. And, you know, I have, uh, one of my clients, uh, had this uh, line and I put it in my Instagram feed and he said, if you don't document it, it didn't happen. And it's such a great, it's such a great term because, and that's really what it comes down to is, um, you know, not to skip to the end by any means, but here's what I'll say as a kind of a nugget of out, out of all this conversation is that, If you're a builder or a designer and you get to the end of a project and you've got differences in costs from what you had a client agreed to, to what the actual costs are, Mm -hmm. if you follow a process along the way and you document every single step, the converse, there's no conversation. It's simple. It's basically, they, they were in the know, they were communicated to, they signed off on everything. They might still not be thrilled that it took longer and cost more, but they were. It was communicated throughout the entire process, and that's really the the bottom line. 
Yeah, they're driving it. I can think of a very recent example that might designers might resonate with. We designed a custom sectional sofa for a, a renovation project. And then, you know, when we started getting closer to the end of the reno, uh, the, we were still waiting on the fabric because COVID and fabric <laughs> was take, is ridiculously delayed. And yeah. um, I was in the space with my team and I said, you know – do you think that we're going to be able to get this sectional around the corner in the hallway? Like we measured the elevator and it's fine. But once we enter the unit, like there's a right angle. And I thought, you know, let's, can we just double check that with our supplier? So sure enough. So the team went and checked with the supplier and the supplier was like, yeah, that's probably going to be too tight. And they'd already built the frame, <laughs> but they, um, but they, but they hadn't started to upholster it. So they could, they could modify the frame. And so we had a conversation with the client um, and we said, listen, we're going to modify it. It's not going to change the look, but it will come in three pieces instead of two or whatever it was. Fine, great, whatever. Um, and there was a bit of like, you know, concern by the client, like, is this going to like change the overall aesthetic and whatever? So we had to sort of reassure them that it'll be fine. Um, there was a cost associated. I don't know what it was, but I ate the cost because... Mm. It technically was our fault because as the designer, we should have um, foreseen that because the cost was that they already made the frame. So now they had to change the frame. Okay, regardless, in that situation, what we should have done, um, if we weren't going to eat the cost, what we should have done is explained the situation to the client, presented them with the change order so that they signed off because this is they have not signed off. The sofa still has yet to be delivered. So I'm now what happens as a designer is you get into this like um hold my breath. There's yeah. this happens a lot as a designer. You hold your breath because you maybe make a change or you maybe make a decision and you you're pretty sure it's going to work but like you know the client maybe hasn't signed off on anything and you're just like holding your breath until everything is delivered and the client is sitting in the furniture and they're happy and i would say this happens it doesn't happen as much now for me because we have really great systems to help prevent that but in this type of situation i am now holding my breath to make sure that that they're going to be happy with it because even though we had a conversation and i didn't charge them money Right. So that's part of why I'm not charging them. Like I can't go to them and charge them and then they're not happy or something. Oh my God, Brian. So I feel <laughs> as though many designers can relate to that where you think it's just a small change. Do you think something actually, maybe that's my question to you. Do you think a situation like that would require a change order? You know, it's, and it's a great question. And I just want to say that like the hold your breath part is something that I think everybody feels right. And I've got groups of, you know, residential builders you know, people doing in excess of 10 million a year and people doing under 10 million a year. It's just as a benchmark, everybody feels the same way. What's really interesting about these classes is that you get people from all across the United States, like coast to coast and Canada as well. And everybody has the same sort of feeling. So, you know, as a designer, you're like, we're holding our breath. As a builder, you're holding your breath as well, because sometimes those change orders are murky. And this is one of those ones that's a bit murky. There's no question about it. Um, there's, you know, I guess what, what a client would call a professional responsibility is kind of how they look at, to us, whether you're a builder or a designer, architect. And I've been in these conversations with other architects before as well, um, where there's been a question of something that's been designed and does it functionally work? Can you get this piece of furniture through this? hallway um, or does it have to come in pieces like Ikea? So, um, you know, and I think ultimately, you know, I, I, I think a big picture point that we always used to talk about with clients is that they have to understand that 
Um, so I went to IBS this year, little, little segue story, um, story sell. So, so this will be impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at IBS this year. I sat in on a panel and, uh, there's IBS a fellow or IDS, yeah, sorry, IBS, um, and not irritable bowel syndrome, but, uh, <laughs> the international builder show. I still don't Got know it. why they haven't changed it, but, um, <laughs> terrible, terrible. yeah. So there's a builder just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee named John Crab and his crab custom homes, I believe is their name. And he was in this panel and he's just, you know, kind of a bigger Southern gentleman, you know, kind of thing. He has that deep voice. And he basically piped into this audience of, you know, three, 400 people and said, one of the things that he tells the clients that he works with is, um, you know, your home is man-made. Jesus was a carpenter, but he wasn't one of the carpenters on your project. <laughs> and so the, the message there is that, you know, life is messy. There is no real black and white and there's nothing perfect. Right. And so it goes to follow that a construction project is not going to be perfect either, but these are costs of work. And that's kind of those three words. Cost of work is something that I, you know, I make sure that people have in their contract, a specific section that talks about cost of work, what is a cost of work and what isn't. So we can always reference that. So to your question, should this be a change order? You know, it falls in a bit of that what we call like the error category, right? Which is the fact that it's a man-made or a person-made project, right? And that's really the reality. So, you know, can you actually go and feel good about it and have that conversation with the client? That's a whole other story, but yeah. ultimately I'm, you know, I, you know, you, you know, you've, you follow me for a bit, you know, I, I talk a lot about not eating costs and um, yeah. as a builder, as a designer, architect, um, you know, as a basically service professional, you know, you're putting the effort and the work in. So the fact that you're actually eating those costs, you know, it, it actually bothers me to hear that just because mm-hmm. I, I, we also did it for a long time too. So I not saying that we never did it, but my goal is to try to help people not to do that. Agreed. I, I struggle with that because I see it as, you know, that's, that's our mistake. Um, and so when it's our mistake, we have to own up to it yeah. and, and we, ha- and that, you know, we just had another situation. And part of that, I think as a business owner often is it's growing your team. So yeah. for me, there's a cost of doing business when you have somebody else working for you and you give them, you sort of let you give them a little bit more space to make decisions and design and, yeah. and because I cannot grow my firm to the size that we're getting and be involved in every tiny detail. It's just not possible. You can't scale a business if the business owner has their hands in absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, so that's been a learning. That's like a whole other topic when it comes to like developing your people and growing your team. But that has been a learning experience for me. We had another situation on a different job this spring or this summer where – Again, you know, I'm having my designers like they're stepping up to the plate and they're taking on more. I'm starting to do more of the coaching and and the podcast and all this fun stuff. And um, there was a miscommunication, again, because the systems that we have were not used. The paint schedule that should have been created for this decorating project wasn't. And I think sometimes what designers do when you're used to working on a renovation and a decorating project, designers will tend to look at the decorating project as a lesser not, right. I mean, I prefer decorating projects because there's more margin in them and yeah. it's way easier for us. We don't have to do work with the, tra- with many trades, yeah, but, yeah. um, 
But it's seen as, well, we don't have to be, because we're not giving this to, you know, a contractor, we don't maybe need to follow all the steps. And it's when you skip those steps that mistakes happen. So the painter went to paint and I was on site to like help select the color. And my designer was the one communicating with the painter, but didn't communicate because we did all this beautiful paneling on the walls, didn't communicate um, what was, what, the sorry, trim was one color, walls were another color. But he took it as, you know, the two-step trim was was one color and then inside the panel was another. And he went ahead and painted it. And then when my designer went, she said, that's wrong. Like he should have known. And I said, no, that's our fault because mm-hmm. you weren't as specific with him as you could have been through either the paperwork or labeling the walls or whatever it would be. And so he said, well, it's going to cost more money because it's more hours for me to paint over it. And so my designer asked, okay, well, can we charge that to the client? I said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That is our mistake. They're mm-hmm. hiring us as a professional to not have, to not make these mistakes. And You know, it sucks as a business owner because it's out of my pocket, but it's a learning curve for my designer and mistakes will happen. Um, So I know eating costs, it's it's a tricky fine line. It's understanding when you're at fault, you need to be able to own it. But then at the same time, when it's like you say, it's just sort of the cost of the work of doing this business that has to be the end user has to pay for that. Yeah. And it's so tough. And I think it's very contextual as well, right? In the example that you gave, you know, it does feel like, yeah, if I was, if I was you, if I was the business owner, I'd say, okay, you know, I think great leaders look at, look inside when scenarios like that happen, that we don't look to the team member that maybe didn't follow a step or whatever it is. We look inside and say, Hey, what, what, what did I fail at? What, how did I not put that person in a position to succeed? And so I think, yeah, it's, it's very tough. Like as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd probably eat that cost. (laughs) You know, like in my mind, I'm just imagining and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's the reality. So, but the trick is, you know, in all of this is what do we do with that information now? Right. So, you know, what can we do to, to, to take off that Asana floating task, right? That floating change order task. I'm going to yeah. make the team listen to this episode. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really about, and this is where, so there's two books come to mind. I'm, 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 since I started in this whole journey a couple of years ago, like I've become a, just a, like a total reader and I never was really, but Good to Great is a great book by Jim mm-hmm. Collins. If you haven't read it, it's a great leadership book. And it talks a lot about this level of, you know, of entrepreneur, of owner that is, that will be able to look inside when mistakes happen and when successes happen, look only outwards, not, not internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's just a bit of a, you know, uh, well, you're a designer, so I can use the juxtaposition word, but uh, you know, it is a juxtaposition between I think what the typical mantra would be for, you know, most people that own a business. And I think being able to do that really, really helps a lot. And the second one is called Company of One by Paul Jarvis. And this is a fellow, he's a Canadian guy living out in Victoria. And he wrote a book and it just talks about like, you know, Company of One is, you know, kind of like what I run right now. But at the same time, you could be in a big company running like a company at one. And so for your team that might be listening to this, the idea of empowerment is really important that they understand that they have decision-making capacity on the front line, right? And that's really it for you as a business owner, um, you know, is kind of like, you know, it's not so much about the leash sort of thing that we talk about, but it's also, it's just really about, you know, accept, like sort of internalizing a bit of that mantra and saying, I want people to grow and thrive now. 
I always used to call something controlled failure, like you talked about, right? You have your team, you want to develop them. And so you have to let them make decisions and make errors and all of that. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is we try to do that in a controlled manner, right? We do it with things like, in all fairness, the paint thing, I don't, you know, it doesn't sound like it's a, I don't know how many, like how large of the volume of work it was, but it doesn't sound like it's a massive thing. It's not like no. you built the $12,000 sectional that now has to get thrown out yeah. because you need a new one. Like that's a different story. Yeah. Um, so, so to me, that fits the controlled failure model, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think I learned too. I mean, when I worked for another designer, I made mistakes. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can't be too hard on people when you're, it's, Exactly what you say. Always say, you got to look at yourself. What am I doing wrong? It's hard because I think too, as a business owner, when you get that concept that we are, if somebody on our team makes a mistake or doesn't do something the way we want them to, we have to look at ourselves as the business owner and as the leader. But we can sometimes, at least I know I can be extremely hard on myself. Um, So you have to be careful to understand that, you know, you, you, though everything is your fault as the business owner. Um, and maybe your fault is hiring the wrong person in the first place, right? (laughs) You got to give yourself some grace. Sure. For sure. And I always say that to my people is, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Like it's life is messy. And one of the things in the coaching world that we always, we often talk about is leaning into the pain points that you're experiencing, um, to really understand what your drivers are so that, you know, like your internal kind of emotions surrounding a topic and things like that. And then the second part to that is, you know, being able to sit in that and be okay with it because life is messy, right? We know that, right? In, in family, in business, in just personal life, there's nothing that's like simple. So, um, and, and the truth is, is that to bring it back a little bit to change orders, change orders is a messy mind state for people to sit in as well, because as humans, we like, we like story loops to be closed, right? We like mm. the, you know, the start and the end of something to be complete. And sometimes it's not as simple for us or for our clients as it is for us, just in terms of how a client's going to view a change order versus we're going to view it. Right. Totally. Okay. So let's, let's circle back to these change orders. How do you, cause for me, it's always about set yourself up for success by educating your clients early on so that Mm -hmm. when, when a situation arises or when you get to step six or whatever it might be, they know what to expect. So how do you educate before the, do you talk about, I mean, how do you let people know that this, that when something changes, this is our procedure? Yeah. You mentioned contract, but like, how do you recommend people do that? Yeah. Great question. And, and for me, and one of the things that that you'll probably see is I always go big picture first and it's more about the why part. And so we really want to start this conversation really early on with somebody. And it really is baked into our sales process as well. We want to slow down our sales process. We want to build relationship and we want to be able to bridge some difficult topics early on. And and that really helps us in terms of later on when those scenarios do present themselves because we've kind of set that expectation Um, similarly, you know, we were just talking about, you know, your team and you're like, well, I can't get mad at that person if I haven't put them in a position to succeed. It's exactly the same with our client. We can't expect their behavior is going to be positive if we haven't at least warmed them up to the idea that this is going to happen. So, you know, in the sales process, I'm not saying we do this, we don't round the bases and, you know, and go to third base already and just tell them, Hey, you know, by the way, there's going to be all these change orders in your project kind of thing. Uh, We want to softly explain it. And one of the ways that we've always done it is talk about, and I wrote this in the blog is, is um, 
you know, that the most, that the most inexpensive time to make a change is in the design phase, right? Before construction starts happening and all of that sort of thing. We know this as, mm-hmm. as service-based and construction professionals, that's the reality. And so we want to try to like bake that into our sales process, being able to slow it down. Um, I use a kind of a, a mantra of like integrated project delivery, right? Where we get our design partners, our architects, our consultants, us as the builder, our clients, all kind of in a circular you know, sort of scenario as opposed to a a hierarchical um, kind of positioning and meaning that we're all kind of invested in this and we're looking for the project. The project outcome is really the goal. And so we really just try to explain to a client really early on, this is the approach. This is kind of the sales process that we follow. We're going to try to, like, there's nothing perfect. We're not going to nail it 100% at any point along the way. We're going to do our absolute best. We're all striving for perfection. And just helping them understand, you're warming them up to the idea that there there is an error category. And then there's also going to be things like they're going to change their mind. I mean, I'm sure this is no surprise for you, uh, considering what you do for a living. You know, clients change their mind frequently. And I think they have the notion of, oh, well, you're, you're, you're here anyway, so can't you, you know doesn't it just make sense that you can do this kind of thing? And I think just helping them understand and and kind of like telling them, Hey, look, it's okay. If you're going to make changes in the project, that's fine. Um, Along the way though, that might have an impact on the cost of the project. And of course the time. And so we'll do our, what we'll be doing is following a process to help identify those before um, so that you can accept them and that there's, you know, you're in the know and, and we've kind of communicated to you. Oh, I love how you just worded that. It's like, we'll be following a process to let you know the chances you can accept them. It's like all very positively worded. I think the wording is really important. And then sometimes we, when it's something new, we kind of struggle with how to phrase it. So it doesn't sound, you know, if you want to make a change, then we're going to make you sign a change order, right? Like it's like you're saying the same thing, uh, but how you say it really matters. For sure, because the intonation can be that you're frustrated or irritated by it versus a educational piece, right? I think as as you know, builders and and designers and architects, like we we spend a lot of time educating people. Really, that's that's really what we do. We're kind of educators, mm-hmm. and so I think taking that approach to help them understand what what it all looks like. It's really again, it always comes back to me now to this client experience journey. I never really put my finger on what it was that I was always trying to impart for people over the years, but that's really what it comes down to is setting those right expectations early on. And yes, I did mention contract, you know, it's important that the change orders are, you know, mentioned of course in the contract and that that's explained and can be a really good talking point for people to understand, but you know, you're absolutely right. Like the, the way that we say it is so important and, you know, as a, not to get too existential here, but, um, you know, as a business owner, you also have to believe what it is you're selling. Right. And it's one of the things I talk about in the sales class is like, if you don't believe in your process, if you don't believe in the value that you charge and that your team brings, you're going to have no chance of selling it to anybody. Right. It'll telegraph right through. And so you have to, you know, again, back to that stigma of change orders, we have to accept that to be able to actually effectively and calmly and positively explain it to our clients. Mm-hmm. Totally. <clears throat> totally. Um, you know, I, um, a positive example, it's not exactly a change order, but when we do work because we do a fixed fee, um, we have a set scope. And if something goes out of scope, um, technically, 
they're supposed to sign an agreement for out-of-scope work. And though that's in my contract, I never used to actually do that. So what would happen is we do one round of revisions, and then the client would ask for more revisions. And so instead of saying, sure thing, this is out of the scope and whatever, it'll be billed at our hourly rate, I would just do the extra revisions, hoping that there wouldn't be too many, right? This right. people pleaser in me. Yeah. Um, we recently had a client that... Um, then started wanting to revise and revise and revise. And so we did, I, I didn't actually end up having to do it, but the verbiage that I gave to her was, I'd be happy to, I don't remember now what it was, but I'd be happy to, you know, reselect all of the furniture pieces for your dining room. Um, but because it is out of the revisions, I'll have my office send over our out of scope contract for you to sign. And that just stopped it. Yeah. Just hearing that it was going to be something that she would have to sign off on that and I didn't even talk about the money, but she knew because it was in the contract. Uh, then she sort of was like, okay, but then didn't say anything. And then when we followed up, she said, you know what? I, I think I'm just going to leave it for now, which was the best thing ever because yeah. it could just, it was just going to snowball. So I think just having it, having, and just, I think this is why I asked that question is knowing that that is something that exists. And making it very clear sometimes will be a deterrent too to making a million changes. Hundred percent, yeah, and and it's always a fine line too on that side because you know as people pleasers and you know designers builders we we all want the best outcome for the client ultimately, right? Because you know our businesses are built on the great word of our past clients, of course, and so um, as I always say, those are your strongest marketing asset if you're willing to actually put the energy into them, and so it's tough, right? Because you're like, you know, you kind of want to deter some of those conversations, but at the same time, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you know, so it's, it's kind of, you, you get stuck in a little bit of a paradigm there, but um, you know, there's no question about it. I've had lots of clients that have been super indecisive when all of a sudden that money part comes in um, and there's a neural thing that happens when that money part comes in, it switches, like the switch goes off for them and they, they go into like uh, an emotional state, which, makes them make a different decision oftentimes. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, totally. Okay. So you talk about like actually doing it and done is better than perfect. What, like, do you, what does a change order look like? Is it like a PDF you send? They have to print and sign. Is it an online document? Like, what does it physically, how do we do this? Yeah. And, and (laughs) yeah, it's great. Easiest way possible. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a great question. Look, it can be a piece of paper that you pull out just a regular eight and a half by 11 line piece of paper that you write out with your company name on it and say, blah, 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 whatever the change is, it's going to cost X amount and it's going to add X days to the working schedule and then have your client sign it. It can be as basic as that. It can be as complicated as if you use a, you know, digital platform like you know, Procore, Build-A-Trend, Co-Construct for the builders. And, mm-hmm. um, for you know, for you, I mean, the truth is, is that that can also be done through like a QuickBooks online. Um, you know, you can you can basically send a PDF with DocuSign or HelloSign, right? There's another option so that you can get a digital signature for people. Um, you know, we're always trying to remove some friction in the process is really what it comes down to. And so we're trying to make it as simple as possible. Obviously, in this contactless world that we're kind of living in now, um, even though our industry is full of contact, if we can make it super easy for people that they can just sign on a phone or something like that with their finger, that's the ideal scenario. Um, Really there's, 
two main components of a change order. We want to highlight the scope of work change that ha- and then the cost that's sort of associated with this. And then that second part that's so crucial is the time piece because you know, there are a plethora of reasons why, you know, you should add time to every change order that you do. And, you know, one of the things we said kind of at the top of this podcast was that if you, you know, have documented this all the way, you know, through the process, there's no conversation at the end when you are 25 to 30 days over the initial schedule, because you've communicated those little chunks along the way. And, uh, you know, in my class this week, we always talk about, I talk about estimating labor because it's one of the hardest things for a builder to do is if you have internal labor teams. And I would say that far too often we price it based on what we want it to take versus what it will take. And I think, you know, for anybody that's like a young business owner, interior designer, uh, builder, whomever, um, the rule of thumb is, is work out what you think something's going to take and double it. Because and then you'll be close. You'll probably still be under, but you'll be close, <laughs> um, and that's the reality. It's so true. I mean, I know as designers, we're always doing that when it comes to just the design portion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, if it wasn't for Kimberly Selden and me doing the business of design years ago, and hearing her say that they at the time she said it was like four to six weeks to do a design, I'm like, oh my god, that's so long. And yeah. Now I can't even imagine doing anything in four weeks. <laughs> right. So I mean, it comes with experience, but you're right. It's we always, and I see my friends do this all the time. I had a friend just reach out a designer friend saying, you know, they've got two inquiries for kitchens, and this was this week, and we right now we are in um, going into September, and she's like, you know, they want it done by November. What do you think? <laughs> I'm like, well. Anything is possible if you don't care about the details and you don't want to work with a designer because that doesn't give you time to design it. And I said, no, that's – but you're, the, the, the fear sometimes with that is, well, maybe I won't get the job. Yeah. Maybe they'll hire somebody else who can do it faster and cheaper. Yeah. That's usually not the right client. But there is that fear of wanting and needing cash flow. Yeah, for sure. But, and that's I, I think that's something that every business owner – faces. There's no question about it. And um, not to get off topic, but from a sales side, I would say to people that people do want to be told what it is. Uh, So you can use these words. We're really excited about your project. Currently we're booking for X month, whatever it is kind of thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, or the fall of 2020 or the spring of 2021. And then the most important thing that you do is you be quiet. Oh my God. Can you teach me more about this? Everyone says this. It's so true. Kimberly Seldon says this thing where she would give the price. She would quote in the consultation. She'll say, it's going to be $10,000. And then she's like, and then you sit on your hands and you don't say anything. Yeah. You have a tendency to fill that negative space for fear Correct. of how the other person's going to respond. Yeah. And it's all about power shift, right? In the conversation, it's all about the ability to say, I'm going to make somebody else meet me halfway here. And it is probably one of the hardest things that you can do um, in the sales process, but one of the most important things. So just remember the one word, silence. Just remember that word for anybody listening, because anytime, and then just be cognizant now of when you fill that negative space, when you fill that void, 
all you're doing is changing the decision-making capability of the other person in the conversation. That's all you're doing. You're telling them you don't firmly believe what you just said, and you're trying to back it up with whatever reasons that you're giving them. So Mm -hmm. try to ignore that. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so, so true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you just said something that made me think. I'm like, oh, this is really, I know we're off topic a little bit. But um, I, oh, this is, I just started doing this thing. Well, I'll let you know how it goes, guys. But I've started putting in my Instagram profile, booking for and putting a month. Yes. So back in July, because we got really busy and I realized now is not the time to be hiring and hiring, hiring for me because I've got a lot going on. I don't want to train new people. I want to keep my team tight so we can only take on so many projects. Um, and so I put book now booking for September and I today yeah. or this week just changed it to now booking for, and this was ballsy. I'm just going to say it January. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> because the reality is, I mean, we can meet you and we can talk about your project, but I don't have the resources. And I think it actually, and I know this is totally off topic, but I think it's important for designers to understand this is a, it fills your pipeline which yep. is something that's really scary and hard to do as an interior designer because people want tend to want things right away. But when you can fill your pipeline, then you know you have work coming up. Totally. And then B, I think it's important to show people that you're in demand because yes. then they're going to want to work with you even more. And if they decide to go to someone else, you know what? It's going to happen. Um, you know, I've had clients, it's usually the clients that are a little bit older who this is not their first rodeo, who come to me and say, we'd love for you to like just decorate our house. Um, This happened to me last year. And they said to me, lovely client, like in their 60s, beautiful, like beautiful home. And they said, so, and this was, I guess, a year ago. So we're talking end of the like winter time. And they said, or pre-winter. And they said, okay, so what are you looking at? Like, what do you have availability Q2? And I was like, (laughs) Uh, you mean like second quarter of next year? Like that is what? And, <laughs> and I said, and of course me, like eager designer, I said, oh no, we could probably get started in like, you know, in the next few weeks. And then I, after I said it, I realized, why am I doing this to myself? They are giving me the opportunity to fill my pipeline, right? And yeah. instead I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm so available, which means yeah. maybe I'm not as good as they think I am. So it was really eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's great that you're doing that. I actually saw a couple other people. So I don't know if they they follow you, the Toronto people as well. So I don't, yeah, I think think there might've been some copycatting happening there, but (laughs) I think it's really great. And you hit a point that's super important, totally off topic, but it's, it's cool. I mean, this is, this is valuable stuff for people. Um, You know, you, you do have to uh, tell people where you're, where, like what you will accept kind of thing. And then uh, another line that I always use is that you'll receive in life what you tolerate. And so if you tolerate people coming to you and saying, Hey, I want to get started next week. And this is a big problem for builders as well, right? We want to get started next week. We want to be done by November kind of thing. And look, that's not possible. You know, it's as simple as that. Like this is when we're booking for, um, and people will respond to that. Like th- that's the thing. It's very scary. And I understand the fine line that we all walk in terms of having enough 
work for the people that we have and enough people for the work that we have. We all deal with that. Whether you're a design firm like yourself, you're a builder like I was, it's the same sort of problem that we have. And so um, being able to, to, you know, kind of state when you are available and not take on too much is the only way that you actually get to the process part, right? Because that Asana change order task is floating around because you're busy, right? So, and, and actually trying to get to it. Um, and then, you know, it's funny when you were talking about the clients that said Q2, I was it's funny how like I just painted a picture of a client that I remember that that said that's me. And these people took three years from the time we met them till the time we started building with them. And it's kind of like meeting people where they're at, understanding where a client is in their buying journey. They weren't ready for you to start right now. They're not mentally there kind of thing in their, in their sort of thought process. And so we have to let them get there. Um, and that's a whole other sales mm-hmm. conversation, but I just wanted to touch on that. <laughs> oh, sales. Your sales course sounds good. I'm going to take it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <good>. <laughs> um, well, we have a couple of minutes left. Before we, before we go, there's this like such good conversation. You're definitely going to have to come back onto the podcast because I feel like there's so many areas where we're really we we understand and teach sort of similar concepts and we're contractors and builders and designers all align. We're all in the same industry offering the same type of um, service, whether we're building physically something or we're designing. It's such a great alignment. But what is there anything else that people need to know specifically about change orders before we get to your final mind-blowing thoughts I'm sure you have for us. (laughs) Um, Like specifically, like what else? Is there anything else? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other big thing that I, that I mentioned in the email series and in the blog was really about charging your time for change orders because uh, whether you're a fixed cost, you know, uh, interior designer, fixed cost builder, or you're doing time and material like open ended, open book. Um, the reality is, is that you're spending a bunch of time on doing things. Like I don't have to tell you that if you know that client that wanted to, you know, basically have you reselect all their dining room furniture, that is time. That's I mean, that's what you get paid for, right? Is your time. So, um, so you know, charging for your for your time in the change order process is really important, especially because you might also get some clients that have you price out a whole pile of different things and say they there's 30 different variations on things and they accept only three of them as change orders kind of thing. And so um, you know, you really need to respect your own time and the fact that that you need to actually charge for it is really key. And again, I kind of gave nine points in in the in the email and the blog. And the truth is there's probably like another dozen I could think of, but those were the nine that I think were really front and center for me. And when you say that, just because like I can hear people thinking and asking this question in their heads, when you say charge for your time, you don't mean to do the work that they sign off on. You mean charge for your time to actually like create the administrative time to you create that change order. 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, just to whip through them quickly, like you're going to identify the scope of work or that change between what was and what is now. Um, you know, you're going to have to talk to your clients. You're going to have to talk to your trade partners, designers, architects, engineers, potentially, if there's like a redesign of something, um, your team, you're going to include them in the conversation as well. You've got to create that scope of work. You've got to actually send it out to a trade. You've got to price all that work. Um, you've got to receive it back as we know, uh, as builders. And mm-hmm. if there's a builder listening to this, you know, oh, I'm sure you have to pay too. You send out something in a specific way. It comes back in a completely different language. Um, Why is that? <laughs> What is that about? That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's week. That's my next week or two weeks from now in my estimating classes, the conversation about, you know, that communication to our trade partners. Um, but, you know, we've got to get it back and then we've got to like 
fix it and make sure it matches and all of that. And then we've got to have a whole conversation with our client. Oftentimes we'll go back and forth a bit. Mm-hmm. Finally, we get an acceptance. Then we have to you know, do a few things. We've got to update financial schedule. We've got to issue the change order, get it signed. We've got to issue a purchase order potentially to our vendors or our trades. There's just a lot. I just unpacked a whole pile of hours of work totally. that happened there. And then what if the client's like, you know what? No, let's just stick with the original plan. Yeah. All those hours you've spent, you're not getting any money for those. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's and as a fixed cost builder or fixed cost, you know, if you're doing fixed cost work, it's tough to like, it's tough to bake that in because you, mm-hmm. you kind of have to know your client before you start. It's why I always say in the sales process, slow it down so you can get to learn how people are before you get in bed with them. Right. Before you like start yeah. doing, you know, you get clients that'll make you, I've had clients that we've priced out 30 to 40 different things and they've t- taken none of it. And mm we basically just spent all that time, you know, uh, yeah. doing it for, for free. So totally, totally. Oh, such good advice, Brian, such good advice. <laughs> Any parting words you'd like to share with my design, my designers? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think ultimately, you know, just know, like, this is, this is probably going to be no secret, especially for you, Rebecca, like you saw this in your group. I see this in my groups all the time. Everybody listening to this, you all feel the same way. You all have this level of uncomfortability, not just with change orders, but we talked about sales today. We talked about expectation setting as, you know, if you're working for somebody as a designer, you want to please them, right? You don't want to make a mistake also. Just know that the world is not perfect and and that ultimately mistakes are going to happen. It's really about what we do with those mistakes. It's where we go to improve our process that fun word that everyone loves to talk about. Um, What are we going to do to make sure that this, that we can learn from this experience and not have that happen again? And then, you know, the other big thing I would say is that we have to just kind of get okay with the messy parts of life and change orders are a messy part of life. You have to try to get to that place where you're okay with it because ultimately you've got to be the ambassador to sell that to the client, to help explain and educate to them why this is going to happen potentially Mm -hmm. and what it's going to look like when, when it does, and which is the final point of the client experience journey. Always remember that it's, you know, you have a whole pile of clients, your client only has their own project to think about. And so when you, you know, are speaking to your client, always just remember to drop the baggage that you have with everybody else and focus and be really present with your client, understand who they are, meet them where they're at and and speak to them in a language that makes sense for them. Mm -hmm. So good. Thank you so much for this. This was really enlightening. I am going to, you can hold me accountable. I'm going to have those change orders. So I need a system set up. It's going to be up and running before, I don't know, next quarter. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to go Beautiful. back to my team. I love uh, it. Thank you so much. Before we sign off, can you please let everybody know where they can find you? Oh, and what are the master classes that you offer? Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I run three classes on three core components, I think, of anyone's business, really. The first one is called Know Your Numbers, which is a sort of A to Z accounting course. If you have no idea what those four financial statements your accountant sends you every year, um, and if you don't really have any sort of tracking system or any idea you know, what the difference between markup and margin is and, and all of that kind of fun stuff. Um, it's an A to Z accounting course. My mom was an accountant. And so I've kind of learned through, through the years. I'm not a, I'm not an accountant myself, but I've learned enough to, to be dangerous. Let's put it that way. So I teach that <laughs> class. Uh, I teach a sales class that really, you know, goes through that relational selling process and helps people understand some of the triggers that people 
you know, humans that we're selling to, the strangers that we meet, how they think, what their thought processes are. So it's not just, here's a list of objections. It's really, you know, there's a lot of crystallized understanding of how you sell to people. Um, so the sales class is great. It's, it's some fantastic conversations that come out of that one. And then I'm currently in the estimating masterclass. So if you've struggled or, you know, found estimating to be a challenge at any point or for any period of time, it's a great sort of eye-opening course, just, you know, exploring lots of different methods. And, you know, one of the big things I know we keep talking about is like in these groups, you just get to like see what other people are doing and hear their experiences. And you kind of get a wide gamut, at least for me in my classes, I get a very wide gamut in terms of, I'll just use gross revenue as a predictor, but it's not necessarily always the best judge of business Mm -hmm. size, but, you know, you get you get anywhere from like the small contractors doing a million up to, you know, plus 10 million plus kind of thing. And it's just really powerful for people to hear, um, you know, from other people. And then if you, you know, if you do want to learn a little bit more about me, uh, the easiest place is constructionconsulting.co. Um, it's the same handle on Instagram as well, where I post a lot of content, as you know. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, everyone go follow him on Instagram. Brian Kaplan, everybody. Really great. Um, can't wait to have you back. Talk <laughs> all the things. And are your courses available all the time? Or uh, certain times of the year? Yeah, certain times of the year. So I kind of cycle through them. Right now they're live delivery. So the next one that's coming up is the sales class, which will be this fall. Awesome. There you go, guys. You can sign up for it. <laughs> Maybe I'll see you guys in there. <laughs> uh, awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Well, there you have it. He has so much wisdom. Oh, my goodness. Ugh, I want to take all his courses. <laughs> Um, I think what's really resonating with me from that conversation with Brian is this idea that you'll receive what you tolerate. I love that that sentence. I love that um, quote because it's so true. You know, if you go into a project and you say, this is how we work, um, this is what's to expect, this is when I'm available for hire, this is how much we are, how much it costs, um, and you set the groundwork and you don't tolerate anything less, then you will ultimately be happier, but so will your client. I really love that. That was a really great episode. I can't wait to have him back again. He has all kinds of um, nuggets and really insightful um, ways, I guess, of working in this industry that, you know, it's not rocket science, but at the same time, it is really helpful and slightly mind-blowing. Some of the simple things that you can do to implement um, to improve your process. So there you have it, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. In the show notes, of course, I will share um, a link to our webpage and to find all the things. I know he mentioned two books. I'll link those books as well. And I'll see you guys soon.